Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. I'm using different equipment today because uh, we have we moved down to California and I left all of my podcasting equipment in Seattle on accident. Um, so you guys are hearing me from a, a $20 uh, mic and video camera that I got off Amazon. Um, Logan, our guest today, said it sounds good. So I hope uh, hope it sounds good on your end. And that brings us to the guest for today, which is Logan Swanson from The Land Flipper. He is another land guy. I love having land guys on the show because it is a great strategy, uh, especially if you have low capital and you're looking to get into real estate. So I am super excited about this. Logan, thank you very much for hopping on the show. Yeah, pleasure, pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, I told you before we got on here, we like to start with stories. So why don't you take us back to the beginning of your story? How'd you get started in real estate? All right. I'll try to abbreviate. So, um, you know, I, I went to college, got a kind of worthless degree, um, planned on going to law school, couldn't afford it. Uh, you know, I was working in restaurants through college and that's just where I was making the most money. So that's kind of what I stuck with for a while. Um, tried to get serious and go start a career in construction, kind of project management stuff and just hated it. Um, and finally got to the point where I was married, uh, had two kids, one on the way. And we were still just hand to mouth, you know, um, I was working full time as a construction uh, project manager. I was moonlighting at a steakhouse in downtown Dallas. My wife had a full time job. She was pretty much just working for insurance and to pay for child care. And we saw saw what was ahead of us. You know, it's like, well, this will just go on forever unless something changes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I started looking into real estate investing. I didn't have enough money for a down payment on a house or anything like so every time I didn't want to hold like I didn't know how to do any of it. I didn't have money for any of it until um, you know, I have a really vivid memory. I was sitting outside of the steakhouse in my car. Um, at, you know, in restaurants, you're always wearing like you have like two work shirts. So I'd like steak juice stains on my shirt <laughs> and this junky car. And I was like, God, something has to change. And I was listening to a podcast that had this guy, um, uh, Mark Podolsky, he's kind of a land oh, yeah, yeah, guru yeah. sort of yeah. guy. Yeah, I had him on the show before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I was like, this is something I could do. You know, he's talking about you can buy land for a hundred bucks an acre and you know resell it. And I was like, that's crazy. Um, so you know, like I said, we didn't have any money. I went to a family friend who has a bunch of rental homes and kind of understands real estate to a degree. And I kept telling him, you know, this land thing. It seems it seems real interesting. It seems it's like you make some money. This. And he's like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, but after a couple lunches, he's like, all right, Logan, I'm sick of hearing you talk about this. What do you need to get started? And I said, I need $2,000 to buy this course from this guru, and I'll figure it out from there. And he said, all right. So he gave me a no interest loan for $2,000 out of the kind of kindness of his heart for one year. And I went and you know bought the course dicked around with, sorry, messed around with it for a while and just didn't really do anything for a couple months. But we finally got over that like fear of starting and started sending out mailers. And um, 
it it really worked. You know, we started buying land, kind of desert squares, middle of nowhere properties in West Texas, Colorado, Nevada, and reselling them for pretty good margins. Um, and we lucked out. One of the areas we worked in, there was a guy who was a wholesale buyer. He's like, I'll buy any acre of land in this county for 300 bucks an acre. And we were buying it for 75 to 100 bucks an acre at the time. That is and absurdly it, low. That is crazy. Yeah. And it was just like a, it was just like we were hit, hit a lotto, you know? Uh, so we went and we were buying, you know, 50, 100 acres at a time. And we wouldn't even file the deeds in our name. We just file them to him and he would send us a check. And it was like, uh, I, c- I couldn't really believe it. Um, but, you know, like everything else, market changes, bumps and bruises along the way and growth. And, um, you know, we went from tiny to really big having land. And I think our biggest holdings was like 17 states and all sorts. I think like 40 markets, 40 counties um, and then ran into all sorts of issues when you own land all over the country and you're trying to sell it. Um, so now we're at the point where we've we've scaled down uh, to a much smaller amount of higher value properties and then we you know we do funding um i have a marketing company to work with other real estate investors i do some coaching here and there now um development subdivision you know kind of all the different little knickknacks that you can climb into um that's it that's where we are right now five years in nice man yeah i uh I feel your story. I, I did the same thing after college. I was going to go to law school, um, decided not to. And then I was, uh, you know, bussing tables. I was a bartender for a while. I went the a similar route. Um, I was in corporate for about seven years after that. Uh, so I, I feel you there. Um, it's awesome that you were able to use land to get out of that. $75, uh, $75. What did you said? 75 per acre in Texas, right? Yeah. That yeah. is just, that is so low. That is crazy. Uh, yeah, so that's out in West Texas. You know, there's the you know it's effectively desert. Yeah. Um. You know, the area I was working was called Culberson County. There's one town called Van Horn. It's got like a thousand people in it. Um. And yeah, it's just it, it's crazy when you pull it up on a GIS map. It's just tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres all cut up into little five, ten, twenty acre chunks in this huge grid pattern that extends out in every direction. Huh. That's interesting. Um, do you know what was the end strategy for the guy buying it from you? Um, like what, yeah. what is his goal of using this land? Um, so one of the, one of the things that I learned early on in this, uh, in the land investing space is a lot of our buyers just want to own something. You know, I think it's become really hard for the average person to feel like they actually have an asset. Mm. Um, so, you know, if they feel like, well, I'm never even going to be able to buy a house. All I'm going to do is live in apartments my whole life. You know, what's an affordable way to own something? Um, so, you know, a lot of them wanted a property that's maybe recreational. They could go out and visit. Mm-hmm. They almost never did. But for the most part, I think they really just wanted to feel like they own something, own part of America, a tiny little slice of the American dream, even if it is just, you know, five acres in a desert. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so you mentioned you kind of had an arc in your career. You started off, you buying these really cheap uh, plots of land. You grew um, to 17 states, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what were the inflection points? Like what at what point did you realize, um, you know, this these are obstacles that we need to overcome? Yeah, well, the reason we we got this grand idea to expand was, you know, during COVID is where our business really took off and people had this influx of money. 
Um, and really the land, like you, you could sell any piece of land just like that. You know, it seemed like a week. So, um, I expanded out to a few different markets, literally everywhere I went, there was lack of competition and excited buyers. Mm. So it felt like everywhere I went, it was just hitting gold, hitting gold, hitting gold. And I was like, this will work forever always. Right. (laughs) Um, So that's when I was like, I'm going everywhere. You know, I made it a goal to go into 50 states on land in every state in the country. And um, what happened was there was a market shift. I mean, we're still selling land now, but it's not like it was then. Um, So that you know tightened up a little bit all of a sudden the, my properties weren't moving the way i anticipated um and then i was like oh wow there's rules in california that i wasn't aware of you mm-hmm. know that the, these title companies are a pain in the butt in in north carolina you know or whatever it is and um when you expand not only is there all this legal and other infrastructure that you need to build into your business and have really well systematized and well thought out and organized which i was not doing a great job of <laughs> Um, but also you're, you're effectively having to find a, uh, a huge amount of buyers in various markets, which mm-hmm. takes an incredible amount of marketing. So, yeah. um, you know, it was easier, uh, in the beginning, but as the market sort of went down a little bit and it became harder to sell, it was like, oh, I can't focus capital or marketing efforts in any one area. I have to spread it out everywhere. And what happens when you spread your marketing dollars out everywhere is they just, they don't, don't get work. spent well. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. yeah. So very little return on investment. And um, in the in the category of properties that I love, you know, ones that are 50,000 or less, it's it's an inefficient market, right? So mm-hmm. there's no agent who's excited to go sell a, you know, $30,000 lot somewhere. I mean, they'll do it hoping you give them something bigger in the future. But what you find is that you're just, it's very inefficient. I, 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 so yeah, it became this nightmare of, I have this huge inventory, you know, at one point, I mean, we're still, honestly, we're still climbing out of it. I think we have something like 50 properties in inventory that are still spread out over the country that I'm just like, can I please sell these damn things, right? <laughs> you know, um, but it, you know, it was, it was Luckily, a good problem to have. Land, and so really all you're doing is you're, you're paying, your holding costs is just taxes, right? There's nothing else. Yeah. To yeah. There's very minimal headaches. I mean, we do. I'm not afraid to buy land in HOAs and, and POAs and things like that. So some of them will have have more holding costs. But for the most part, we were buying around 10, 15 cents on the dollar back then. Wow. Um, so if if something sits in inventory for two years, three years, and I sell it at 80% of market, I'll still profit Make fine. Yeah. Uh, it just effectively becomes a nuisance. It's like, yeah, oh, I have to sell this now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's something you don't... Um... I didn't think about when I first got started is uh, I do self-storage in mobile home RV parks. Um, and when I first got into self-storage, I, I was like, okay, I, I don't know the asset yet. I want to mitigate my risk. I'll buy small properties. Um, but the thing you don't think about with small properties is one, well, it doesn't apply for land, but for self-storage, um, if you make one mistake, your profits get eat, eaten up instantly. And then two, it's just, there's a lot of work um, that's involved with both the buying and the selling of the property. And if you're not making a ton of money on the, on the sale, then, you know, is it worth it? <laughs> you got mm-hmm. to ask yourself, like, is that effort worth it? Um, yeah, that's interesting. So when you're, you, you realized, you know, that the market shifted, it's things are different now. Um, what strategy did you land on that you feel like still uh, rewards you for the effort that you put into it? 
Yeah. Uh, well, for us, you know, we encountered that marketing problem and um, I decided, hey, this isn't just my problem, right? This is a problem that uh, probably everybody who's a bigger fish in our industry is feeling. Um, and honestly, most investors fall into this category of I'll mail a county and then I'm done with the county and I'll move on to another. County. So they're kind of always lurching from one area to the next. Um, and there are obviously land marketing services and websites like, you know, lands of America, lands.com. Uh, there's, there's a number of other smaller ones, but they weren't really satisfied. They're so passive. You just put it somewhere and hope someone sees it. Um, so I did, I developed an engine mostly for myself. You know, I took it seriously. I was like, okay, well now I have to hire a marketing team. I have to really invest in my brand. I have to upgrade my website. I have to do all this sort of stuff so that I can really try to take real estate and move it into the e-commerce market, you know, kind of the e-commerce system that we all thrive in now. Uh, so we built our website to kind of be more like Amazon. Um, and I created this big marketing engine and I started taking in other land investors and, and marketing their properties through social media and all this other stuff. And, uh, ended up becoming this spinoff business where we build websites and and things like that. So it's got, it was a curse in some ways in terms of frustration. Um, but it really challenged me to step outside of just real estate and into a different beast, you know? So now I have a marketing company. It's just a whole different thing. Um, and it also forced me to learn a, a ton about systems and automation and things for this marketing company that I can then take back in and and make my land or my land investing company more intuitive and my funding company more intuitive. Cool. Um, so you you ran into that issue and then you built your marketing company. Um, mm-hmm. Your marketing company. It sounds like you guys guys also you fund land or do you fund what just what, land just land yeah, just yeah. land flips and developments. Yeah, mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, so in terms of what you guys focus on for your own acquisitions, what what type of land are you marketing for for yourself? Um, and what's the exit strategy that you're looking at? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we kind of have three approaches right now. Uh, so one is we're trying to do one to two uh, subdivisions a year. Uh, so you go buy 100, 200, 300 acres, uh, ideally within about an hour and a half drive of a major city, and you cut it into... Uh, smaller lots, typically 10 acres or more in Texas is a good rule uh, because it makes it very simple working with the county. Um, sometimes all you have to do is send in a plat proposal and they'll stamp it. And that's that's the whole process, you know. That's, funny. Um, that's all they got over there is land, so they don't really care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, and we want our freedom, so don't muck it up, right? So, um, so that's kind of one course of our business is always in pursuit of deals of that nature or funding them. You know, we do both. Uh, Then we have entitlement projects, which is kind of a newer wing. We're feeling it out. Uh, The idea is you buy, say, a commercial property that's uh, zoned for multifamily, uh, but it's fully treed or something like that. And whoever owns it has just been sitting on it for a long time. And um, what we hope to do is we haven't done it yet, but we hope to, in negotiations with them, come up with a deal where uh, they come in as a partner we take it, we develop. I mean, the seller and, comes in as a partner. Yeah, the seller comes in as a partner. They contribute the land. We never buy it. And all we do is the entitlement work. So we go design what an ideal apartment complex would be for this. Uh, we apply with the city. We get everything approved. And then we take that property plus the entitlement work to market. Um, and it will be effectively shovel ready for whoever wants to come in and build an apartment complex. Okay. Um 
yeah, it's it's a great strategy. It it has a lot of nuances, um, but you could effectively say put fifty thousand dollars into entitlement work and capture something like two, three, four hundred thousand in profit um, if you identify the right property. So uh, the cash on cash rewards are awesome, and my favorite thing about it is in in our community, like the land flipper community. What I'm least excited to do is just go buy a cheap property now. You know, like I don't really like feeling like I I know the value of this and you don't. So I'm going to hoodwink you. I'm going to get it cheap and then go resell it. Um, you know, I've done a lot of that. Uh, we, we've made some good transactions that way and I don't feel bad or anything. But the idea of me being able to go partner with someone and say, hey, I'm going to get you full price or above full price for this property. Um, and I'm going to do all the work and I'm going to put the capital into it. And then I'm making kind of a win-win situation for me and the landowner, as opposed to like, I win, you lose in the standard flipping model. Um, but then we are still pursuing flips. We're trying to stay where we're going to be making 50 to $100,000 profit per property now. Um, so it's a lot more fine tooth comb to try to scrape those deals out. Sometimes they're larger acreage. Uh, sometimes they are simply properties that need minor improvements like, okay, well, let's get access or, um, uh, here's a good example of a deal we did recently. We went and bought, uh, three lots next to each other in Temple, Texas. Um, and they're effectively unusable because the, uh, the gas provider had run a power, uh, uh, um, a pipeline underneath of it. So you couldn't build anything. The easements and the setbacks made it so the property was effectively valueless. Um, so we went, we talked to them, uh, we purchased the property, we got it under contract. And then we went to the oil company and we asked them like, Hey, is this line active? They said, no, they said, okay, what's the process for us removing the easement and clearing that off the properties. And they said, well, it's not that hard. You fill out this paperwork, you send it in, it goes to our team, they stamp it and we're over. Uh, so we were able to buy this property, which was unusable, very affordably. We went through a small bureaucratic process, uh, that took maybe a month. That just most people wouldn't know to do or even think to do. And then when we brought it to market, it was like an $80,000 profit on those three lots. And it was it was a win for the seller because they didn't know how to sell it, right? Nobody else knew how to do this. It was a win for us in the middle because we made a good profit. And it was also a win for our buyer because they bought it and they actually turned it into four lots and they're building homes on them. So um, kind of an ideal situation for everybody. Cool, man. I love it. Um Awesome. So you guys, uh, you're looking, is there any specific metros that you look at? It sounds like mostly Texas. Yeah, Texas now. I mean, our funding company is such that we are still actively funding and buying land, um, mostly in what we call the Sun Belt, you know, the Southern states, freedom states. Um, but uh, yeah, for our own company, if anything we're flipping or developing, I want to be able to drive to it for the most part now, uh, since we're not doing I mean, they still fall into our lap. So we do still do smaller deals. But, um, you know, if I'm going to put $100,000 or $200,000 into anything, I want to be able to go see it. Um, So it's just comfort level now that and there's so much land around us and we know the laws and we already have the title companies. We already worked all these counties before. So it's like just a safe little area. And I like it. Yeah. Yeah. The more uh, the more deep you get into a specific strategy. especially with things that aren't land, you know, things that you need an operations team for the more, at least for me, I've realized that I just want to stay in one spot. Um, I want to stay in in an area that I can build a team around and then uh, not have to jump, you know, state to state to state. So uh, I'm, I'm there with you on that one. All right. I just took a peek at the clock. It looks like we have run it down. So it's time to jump into the quick question round. Are you ready? Shoot. 
All right, let's do it. It starts with books or any form of education. I need uh, two recommendations, one for general life wisdom and then one for real estate. Oh, man. Okay. So uh, for real estate, I know it's it's a super classic one, but it's one that I think about and refer back to regularly. And that's just the seven habits of highly effective people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's not real estate specific, but um, anytime we're building a system, um, that's really what I got. That's just my structure. Um, and I go back to that on a regular basis. Um, and then, you know, as far as other literature, um, you know, I've been kind of reading a lot on meditation. Mm. Um, I don't know. Cool. Yeah. One that's uh, stood out to me. I've, I'm actually in the process of reading, rereading it is the Tao of Pooh. Have mm. you heard of that book? I haven't. Uh, it's really good. It's it's about Taoism, but it uses Winnie the Pooh as as kind of a reference <laughs> mark. Um, cool. And uh, if it, really, 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 really good and short read, um, I would highly suggest it to anyone listening. Very cool. I'll have to check that one out. Uh, and Seven Habits that was the uh, that was the first kind of um, whatever self development kind of book that I read way back in the day when I was traveling uh, after college when I was traveling around Europe. Um, and that book had a huge impression on me. So that is a, that's a great recommendation. Mm-hmm. All right. Next question is for your younger self. So let's go back to the Logan who was sitting in his car, two kids long on the way, you know, still working, uh, working that job as a server, go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Um, just enjoy the now. I don't know. I think I lost a lot of that. You know, when we started the the real estate company, you know, I was still working two jobs and my wife was, so we literally, we had no free time, you know, that's all we did was work. And I think for, um, I know for a fact for those few years, probably four or five years when we were launching everything, uh, I didn't, I didn't really pay attention a lot to, um, how happy my life already was, you know, before anything changed. So, um, that's, that's the best piece of advice is just stay in the present, be be grateful for the present. Yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, Great advice. Also, extremely difficult if you really, really want to get to a certain space. If you want to, if you have something that you feel like you absolutely need and you need to get there, uh, it's so hard to to bring your mind back and kind of rest in the the space that you're in right now. Um, and I honestly still struggle with it myself, <laughs> uh, it's, but it's something you know you continue to work on. Yeah, it's a trade off, man. I mean, it's a healthier way to go. You know, when I started this, I don't know how healthy it really was. It was it was more fear driven, right? Like I said, it's like, oh, we got to fix this or what, you know. Um, but now over the past few years, my mentality's really changed a lot. And it's like, you can be grateful for what you have and want more um, and want better. And I think if you are able to have that mentality, you actually work better. Like I would have gotten quicker yeah. to my goals because yeah. I would have been happier while I was doing it. Yeah. And you're, um, when you're not acting from that space of of fear of needing to get somewhere, then you're able to see a bigger picture and you're able to make better decisions because you're not, you know, scrambling to try to make <laughs> make the decision that, you know, make it happen right now. Yes. Um, all right. Next question is about the U.S. It's a big place, a lot of opportunity. Uh, so give me the single metro, single city, single area that you're most excited about investing in today. Probably right where I live, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth area. Um, it's, it's just, it's incredible. I mean, you drive, uh, an hour and a half in any direction from my house and the development doesn't stop. 
Yeah. Um, it's enormous. It's growing. It's reasonably well governed. Uh, it's free. Um, and it, you know, the, the, just the state of Texas in general, um, not only is it doing well now, but because of the oil and gas infrastructure, um, I think it's going to grow dramatically. Yeah. Um, actually, I just watched a YouTube video on, uh, um, is projecting that the state of Texas is going to exceed in population the state of California in the next like 10 years or something like that. Um, it's pretty crazy because California has a lot of people. Mm-hmm. All right. Next question is about your business. Um, the first three positions we hire form the foundation of our business. So what were they for you? And would you do it in a different order if you did it again today? Yeah. Um, so the the first hire this is probably just really common is just a va uh there's so much in 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 having a large portfolio of properties there's so much just mind-numbing stuff uh, (laughs) yeah just especially with with the marketing and things like that um i would i would prioritize hiring someone to run my my social media channels now um and the the biggest hire in our industry is really like a, an acquisition manager, transaction coordinator sort of position. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we had a marketing company, you know, we had multiple salespeople, marketing company, all this sort of stuff. And we had a, a, when we were working through that huge inventory phase and uh, you know, I did what everybody says. I just created another miserable business um, that I was managing Um and it was it was lucrative and you know i had freedoms along with it but at the end of the day it was just like nerve-wracking mm-hmm. so in our attempt to shrink our portfolio and operate with a much smaller amount of properties the whole point is like i want you know my wife's my partner so she's active in the business so it's like my wife myself um my transaction coordinator and one va and that's it then everything i run can run with just that team and a developer i guess a web developer that's cool. You guys don't have any um, anybody that work acquisitions, dispositions, anything like that. Um, no, not anymore. So the idea of having five properties in an area I know is we hand it off to realtors that are land efficient, uh, and myself. Uh, yeah. There is no one better at selling my land than me, um, and that is the pivotal point in our business. You can still it's still with relative ease that you can go acquire properties, um, but if your goal is to be efficient and turn those properties in short periods of time. Um, I really need to have enough bandwidth to have that be my job. I like that job. Yeah. Um, so that's one I want to keep. Yeah, makes sense. All right. Next question is about finding the deal. It all starts with getting in contact with the seller um, and getting that purchase agreement uh, hammered out. So what is your favorite way to find good deals? Uh, we've never changed. Um, we still send offer letters. They're called blind offers. So um effectively you know mark podolsky in in his toolkit that program i bought they give you a letter they're like hey just use this one it's the one i use um we've taken that we've modified it a little bit it's still ugly which is the way he handed it to us and it works really well Mm -hmm. um and i found that um it doesn't really matter too much the letter um what matters and what we still do to this day is uh, all of our letters are handwritten mm-hmm. and hand stamped. Um, yeah, do you mean actually handwritten or do you mean actually handwritten? handwritten? Actually handwritten. Wow. Who does that? Uh, we've done a few different strategies with it. Uh, but the whole point is we don't need to do a whole lot of mail. Right. Okay. So 
Uh, if you're sending anything from any of the mail, the large mail companies, um, they're not getting open. I mean, that's that is your biggest issue. They're not getting open. Mm. So when my wife and I looked at ourselves and we're like, OK, how do we stand out? Right. Oh, there's all these new land flippers and land investors. How do we stand out? Just get the mail open. I have never gotten a handwritten letter. I didn't handwritten addressed letter that I didn't open. True. Ever. Um, so we went from sending anywhere between 20,000 pieces of mail a month down to like a thousand or 500. Um, and our buy rate is very similar, um, sometimes better. Um, so for us, you know, my son's getting old enough where I'm probably going to have him start <laughs> handwriting it. You know, I'll give Here him a buck each or whatever, you know, it doesn't yeah. really matter. Right. Yeah. Um, but the whole idea is like, I just need my letters open. Yeah. And I look at my competition. I say, years aren't getting open. Um, and then the, the rest of it is just, you know, our blind offers mean there is a purchase price on there where if they sign it and send it back and there's no other weird complications, we will go buy the property for that amount. Um, and in our industry, uh, people don't know how to do that. Uh, they're way too, I call it the shotgun approach. They're going to come in and say, all right, I'm going to price this entire County per acre and send all my mail out that way. Um, and it's just not how it works. You know, you take up any map. Um, and if you look at, you know, what's built on it, what's near it, especially in us, we, we work in a lot of different subdivisions. So what utilities do they have? You know, how steep is it? Are these properties actually built? So we get really granular on that front end data to make sure that we are only mailing properties that we actually want to buy and we're stapling the right price to them. Um, and it's all very simple, basic caveman stuff. Right. But if you do that efficiently, they actually look at it, they open it and look at it. And that price is actually something that they could see themselves selling the property for. Then the last key is we have a Delilah, our acquisition manager. Delilah is the best. So when people call us and she answers the phone, it's hard to not talk for 30 minutes. There's like, oh, you know, she's just the best. So uh, that's our that's our secret weapon. They open the mail. There's a good price on it. And we have a Delilah and people sell us their land. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I, uh, uh, before I got into real estate, when I was working in corporate, I was, you know, I really wanted to start a business. And so I was trying everything. I was trying, you know, you're, you're on Facebook, you're scrolling, you're, you're looking at the e-commerce, drop shipping. You know, I tried all those things. And one of the guys um, whose course I took, I can't remember his name, but he talked about lumpy mail a lot and how it really increases the open rate. Um, and it's just like sending like a, a lumpy mail, you send some object in the mail along with your letter and it increases the rate that it's opened. Um, have you ever tried that in, uh, in your mailers? No, no, honestly. Um, I feel like our efficacy rate's so good. I've never heard of that. Uh, but that is a good idea. Maybe like, uh, one of those, um, uh, what is it? Origami yeah. swans or something. Like yeah. That. Yeah. I think, uh, the example he used, well, um, can't remember what he used, but like sending like a mini mailbox in a in a in an envelope or whatever. I don't know. But uh, anyways, uh, moving on. I'm gonna get us to the second to last question here, and this is about lessons learned. Um, not every deal we get into goes the way we expect it. In fact, many times uh, things kind of go sideways. So, what was a deal that took a turn you did not expect, and what lesson did you pull from it? Yeah. Well, um, best thing is I've never lost money. In a land deal. Yeah. Yeah. Not even close. Uh, the closest I got and the biggest headache I had. Um, still relatively small, probably very small compared to what y'all have dealt with. Um, we bought um, 
a series of, I think, five or six properties from a gentleman in middle of nowhere, small town, Texas. And they were all just residential lots. I think they were quarter acre lots or something like that. Um, he looked up in this tiny town in Texas called Melvin, 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 Texas. Texas. Um, and this guy he was just a good old boy, born and raised out there, thickest Texas accent you ever heard. And he said, uh, I bought these from a tax auction years ago. And I think I bought each property from him between six and seven hundred dollars, something wow. like that. Yeah. So I think I was all in the deal for like thirty five hundred bucks. And um we in short order, yeah, we didn't talk about owner financing at all in this deal, but we owner finance a lot of land. Um, but we sold each one of the deals, owner finance, within about two months, I think, something like this. And um, our down payments on each one was a thousand dollars. And then we were issuing like three or four year notes at around two hundred and fifty dollars a piece there per month. Um, so the cash on cash was nuts from that little deal. Um, but one of them had uh, one of the properties we bought had an old foundation on it. And the guy told us this is a house foundation. And that's fine. That's kind of a plus. We knew we were selling to people who were probably just going to whatever. I mean, very, very, very not wealthy area. So um, I was like, whatever, that's fine. Uh, we bought it and somebody like we owner financed it to them. They immediately went and put a mobile home on it. And it's right across from like the downtown there's like four buildings in their little town um across from the mailbox which also serves as their government center <laughs> and uh they they called me and they're like you can't put a you know residential home here mobile home here this is a commercial property and i was like oh i didn't know that so we shuffled them about and, you know we solved that problem um but then i get a call from the texas department of environmental control tdec and they say um hey logan uh we realize now that you're the owner of this property, this used to be a gas station and there are um, USGs underground storage tanks yeah. underneath there that need to be uh, evaluated. Uh, and I was like, that's not good. So they go out there and sure enough, they're like, yep, these need to be mitigated. Mm. Uh, you need to either remove the tanks, backfill, bring in chemical engineers and all this. It was, it was like uh, the cheapest I got was like a $30,000 cleanup on the thing. Mm. And um, I looked at it and I hemmed and hawed for a while. I called my attorney. I was like, I'm not doing this. What should I do? And he's like, do you need the property? And I said, no. He's like, just deed it back. So all I did is just went, filed a deed, a quick claim deed, deeded it back to the guy I bought it from, just left. It was yeah. over. Um, <laughs> I, I, it was a little more like I took a few phone calls. I got scared for a while. And then I was like, oh, I don't even need to own this. <laughs> just <give> it back. <laughs> take it back, man. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. The under underground in the walls, those are the things you got to be afraid of. Uh, always get your environmental study done just in case. You never know what's going to happen. Um, all right. That leads us to the very last question. This is for the listeners. You've given us a lot to think about. I'm sure people want to reach out, get in contact with you. Uh, what's the best way they can find you? And then what can they expect when they reach out? Yeah. So uh, my website, uh, thelandfixer.com. I'm not a guru. I don't sell courses. I sometimes do coaching here and there, but really I'm, I'm hoping to just be an advocate in general for the land space, which is uncompetitive in certain aspects of it. Uh, so one, there is, if you just have money to go, you want to go park somewhere, there are a ton of people selling land at wholesale prices, 70, 75, 80 cents on the dollar. If you're looking to just land bank and build a portfolio, come talk to me. I can help you find land in any market uh, pretty much. Um, other than that, there's note buying. There's a bunch of different strategies that I created like a little, I think I put six videos together up there. That's like, if, Hey, you're a retail investor, or you're familiar with homes, or you're not familiar with land. There's six strategies that you can go and put your money into land. 
Um, I don't really make money off of any of this stuff. The whole idea is like, how can I just build a community and know more people and meet cool people over here in whatever state? Um, so go there. There should be a link that directs you to me, phone, uh, email, whatever. Uh, happy to talk with people. I talk too much. It's an issue already, but you know, I love it. So, um, yeah, go there, check, check out the landfixer.com. Um, and, and you can see a bunch of different ways that you don't have to go flip land. That's a very intensive business. It really is. Uh, but there's a bunch of different ways where you can operate in less competitive aspects of the land industry. Cool. 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 Uh, the landfixer.com. I will put that link in the, in the show notes. So if y'all want to reach out, just click the little more in the description, it'll pull down that full description. And in there you can find Logan's link. All right, man, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for hopping on the show. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was real fun. Absolutely. Uh, for everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe, at realestateinvestingclub.com. And if you guys want to support the show, all we ask, give us a like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. <clears throat> Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, Go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.